Episode three, the $64,000 question. This is Bobby O'Rourke, answered the $16,000 question. She's back to tell us whether she'll take her 16 or leave it and try for 32,000 on her march to the $64,000 question. And last week, jet pilot on Sherlock Holmes, Captain Thomas O'Rourke, answered the $16,000 question. Tonight, he's back to tell us whether he'll take his 16 or leave it and try for $32,000 on his march to the $64,000 question. The greatest name in cosmetics presents the one, two, four, eight, sixteen, thirty-two, sixty-four. Yes, the sixty-four thousand dollar question. If it's the finest of its kind in cosmetics, it's by Revlon. And later on in our show, we promise you an exciting new Revlon shade preview of the look that rocks the Riviera. And now, the star of our show, where knowledge is king and the reward king size, Hal March. Charles Revston, born October 11, 1906, and passed away. August 24, 1975, was an American businessman and philanthropist. He was best known as a pioneer cosmetic industry executive when creating the first pigment-based nail polish and founded and managed Revlon through five decades. When Elka, the cosmetic company he worked for, did not promote him to the position of national distributor, Revson decided to get into business for himself. In the mid-1950s, Revlon sponsored the quiz show, The $64,000 Question, which became a television phenomenon and boost sales considerably. Revson and his brother Martin, second in charge in the company, allegedly demanded that the producers control the questions in order to keep them winning and maintain the program's high ratings. This sparked what later became known as the Quiz Show Scandal. Steve Carlton, an ex-producer of Entertainment Production Incorporated, which produced the $64,000 question, was called to testify before Congress about the rigging of the quiz show. And he said that Revson demanded the show be rigged to ensure high ratings. There's a tradition in television of trying to please the client. Though they testified, neither Charles nor Martin Revson ever became the subject of official inquiry. The scandal equivocally killed the quiz show phenomenon, but by that time, Revlon had vastly increased its market share and was established as an international behemoth in its niche. I know what you wish, but you can't come back on the show, Glory. <laughs> Who's going to uh, cut the first slice? Dick? I will, Hal, if you'll allow me to. Oh. Careful. There's a fragment that's here today, and they call it Charlie. A different fragment that thinks your way, yeah, they call it Charlie. Kind of young, kind of now, Charlie. Kind of free, kind of wild. Kind of free, kind of wild. Kind of wild, Charlie. Kind of fragment that's gonna stay, and it's here now, Charlie. 
Charlie by Revlon, a most original fragrance. So I brought you on the show because I want to learn about this word woke. <laughs> I feel like it's being used as a pejorative by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis yes. and then locally here, conservative leader Pierre Polyev, you know, always talking about the woke mobs. Yes. But this word does come from somewhere and means something. So can you help fill me in? Yeah. Um, well, you know, woke has, has mainstreamed now, which means it doesn't mean anything anymore. But, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, there was a time when it, it just referred to being aware of the, you know, systemic and structural racism that black folks face on a day-to-day -day basis. So, you know, it made a lot of sense to, to stay woke. Like, don't get sucked in. Don't forget who you are. Like, recognize that these systems are in place, um, you know, to oppress you. Welcome to Something Came From Baltimore. Something Came From Baltimore is a jazz, blues, and R&B podcast and radio show. And it's normally not about Baltimore. Today, we are ready for episode 3 of 14 of Kind of Free, Kind of Wow, a conversation with Laurie Green. Laurie Green is Associate Professor of Anthropology at Stockton University in New Jersey, where she has taught since 1986. She is the founder and chair of the LGBTQ, the Youth Safe Space Initiative, at Stockton University and an advocate for local LGBTQ community. And she's the author of Drag Queens and Beauty Queens, Contesting Femininity in the World's Playground. You can binge this series. It's called Kind of Free, Kind of Wild. And that link is also in the show notes. Music is by D-Light from the 1990 amazing album, World Click. Songs are by Bobby Short. Let's get back into the conversation. Recording. The uh, Zoom has been fantastic, especially for the, the whole pandemic time period. Oh, my God. Yeah, I like my whole life is transformed now by Zoom. You know, it's <laughs> totally different since Zoom, right? Yeah. I, I do a I, lot of my interviewing on this, like my interviewing for work that I never used to do. Um, I now can do it remotely sometimes like this if I have to. So it's sort of cool. It like, doesn't you don't even have to be at work most of the time. I mean, a lot of people have realized that we've created a whole new vibe that you don't even need to be at work. No, that's the, a problem now. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants to go to work, including me. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a problem, but it identifies that, you know, maybe we don't need to work 40 hours a week. Maybe we could be really strong and put in six hours and get done. I mean, I think when you go to work, you realize, okay, well, I have a an hour to talk to this person and then I'm going to go over here and then we're going to go in a meeting that doesn't go anywhere. So it kind of identifies the quality of what needs to be done, you know? Yeah. It's an interesting tool. I mean, I think of all the technologies that are out there, I, I think this one's the best in terms of uh, we talk about technologies, like being able to connect people, you know, and, you know, I think some of them are problematic like Facebook and uh, some of the others, but this one, um, you really do get to interact with people a little bit more deeply than if you're just on the telephone, let's say. Yeah. I have a friend, uh, John Song Sang Warren. So he's like, oh my God, I'm going to have to take off. Like I said, well, I'm normally off Thursdays and Fridays. And I said, uh, he goes, well, I'm going to have to take off one day and come down and see you. I said, could we just Zoom? Like, could we just Zoom? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, what's the sense of like doing all that now? Yeah. And it's a way to keep, I mean, I've reconnected, especially over the pandemic, because we had nothing to do. Um, 
I reconnected with visually, you know, and communicatively with so many of my friends that live in other parts of the world and other parts of the country, because we're all sitting around, you know, twiddling our fingers and we're like, hey, let's get together and have a drink or play a board game online or something. You know, it's been it's, it's pretty cool um, to make remake those connections that way. That's what I wanted to talk about more or less today. It's it's, it's something I haven't really un- unpacked with anyone yet, but I've started to talk to people about the pandemic and how like crazy it is. And now we've, we've kind of passed that threshold and we just kind of move on with our life. But just looking back at it, like I lived in Atlantic city. I lived in Summers point actually, when I was told that, you know, the pandemic started and we were told that uh, it could be a couple of weeks, could be a month or so, and we'll be back to normal. And, um, you know, it had to, there had to be a day that I had to go to Walmart for, you know, food. And it would be the first time that I was, you know, around people. And by then the buzz of like, I don't know if I internalized it, but the energy level of people freaked out was, was really, really high. It, it, you had to wait in line to go to Walmart. You were really focused on that six foot space, which is impossible to do. And then, there was these outbursts, like all of a sudden, you, someone would be screaming, your mask is not on, or cover your mouth, or no, your nose is showing, or, or um, I, I know the first guy had like almost a hazmat suit on, and uh, he had a, the mask on, but then he had this thing like over his face with the windshield wipers, like to cut, like it was weird. And I was like, this was going to Walmart. Yeah, it was pretty dystopian. You know, I mean, that it, you know, it really did feel like something surreal for a while, you know. Um, and I don't know if it's gone. I think, I mean, people are sort of back to normal, but there's sort of, there's also that residual, you know, of, you know, I feel like I lost three years. I call them the COVID years. And people ask me, when did that happen? And I say, I think it was two years ago, but it was probably five, you know, because there's it's the COVID <laughs> to consider and, you know, it was an interesting, you know, like all things that, that pull you out of the normal, you know, it was uh, an interesting experience. You know, we go about our lives, we don't really think about things, and then something like this happens, and and, and we're forced to think about the things we do every day. Um, I saw it as good and bad. I mean... I knew you would. <laughs> yeah, the good, the good, the bad part is obvious, you know, isolation, especially for, I can't imagine being a teenager um, during that time or, you know, a, a kid who needs peers and uh, that sort of socializing. It, it, I'm sure it's had, we've not, we've not yet seen the impact of that, the full impact of that, I don't think, um, unfortunately. But the other side of it for me was it, you know, it was sort of like slowing down um your life in a way that you can sort of look at what your priorities are and it for me it was a chance to work on things i hadn't had time to work on you know i was stuck in my house my uh colleague edward clark and i had been writing a book for 30 years that we never finished uh because we're in two different continents and you know we just never got around to it we had like hundreds of pages of of stuff that was never going anywhere and we sat down every day on Zoom for two or three hours, every single day we were religious. And in six months, we knocked out the book using almost none of the notes that we had taken over the last so many years. Um, and other things got accomplished like that, um, just because for me, I was trying to fill my time productively. I started, I went to art school after high school um, and I've stopped 
doing that, I started drawing again and uh, writing poetry again. And I got even got two poems published uh, during that time. And I'm not I'm not a poet. You know, I just it was like fun or therapeutic for me to sort of write my feelings down. Um, So it was sort of, you know, know, again, we already said I I sort of like being alone. So that part didn't bother me as much as it might have some other people. And I do feel for those people that, um, you know, were, were alone. Uh, and didn't want to be and had no way of connecting. Um, but for me, it was a nice time to do some introspection and um, see what was important. Um, and because it was a, a negative event, which could be potentially life-threatening, I mean, we didn't know where it was going. It also, I think it really helped make you prioritize uh, the things you wanted to focus on in your life. Um, at least it did for me. And uh, I still think it has. You know, I still I still see the impact of that. I'm also on the plus side for a couple of reasons. Like I, I said, okay, well, if I'm, I don't have a job now. My job is to to take care of my health. And I started walking five miles and, and it was religious, you know, on a daily basis. And what the beauty is that in Summers Point area, you're going over beautiful bridges and, and with waterways and beaches. And it's just so beautiful to look at. So it's, it's a, it's not a, a like a drudgery where I, I was punished in any way. I had beauty every single day. And then I decided to, you know, not eat from a store and just go like with, with healthy foods. And so I never went into a shop right during that time period. And I just went into, you know, uh, uh, fruits and vegetable stands and, and got what I got and ate what I, what was available completely like changed the way I, felt and 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 also i was losing weight it was great i was also editing this really mammoth thing that i never did before which is the beatles come to america so i was sitting with brooke halpin he is uh, he lived during the beatles time period and he's written i don't know five or six books he has a one of his books is now going to be a movie and about the beatles and and he is like you know all-knowing and i bumped into him so we decided to to do every single u.s album so then my, the mammoth task was to edit it, which I realize is harder than it felt. It was 26 episodes, nightmare. And we were doing it by the phone. We didn't have Zoom then. So his phone would crack like it was like every 10 seconds. So I had to edit out all these cracking noises. And it was it was just a nightmare. It, in, in a theory, it's a nightmare, but it's done now. And I look back at it, it was great. But it was definitely something that kept my mind busy. Yeah, I love um, the other, I was going to say about the outside stuff. I love how life transformed to the outside, um, even in the winter. And some of the residuals of that we still enjoy. You know, like everybody has outdoor dining now. And we didn't, shockingly, even though we're a beach town and a resort town, we didn't really have that here in Atlantic City, you know, Um very much because people, the, the, the tourism is such that they want to keep you inside in the casinos. So it's nice to have outdoor places. Um, I'm already an outdoor person. I, I live on my bike. I was always a bike commuter, um, didn't have a car. So for me, it was just an opportunity to be outside with some of my friends, you know, and bundle up this time in long johns and, you know, ski suits and, and go riding your bike because there was really um, being outside was the safest place uh, to be with people. So I liked that aspect of it too. And, and some of that's gone away. You know, people are back in their cars and back in their 
their houses a bit more than they used to be. But I think some of it's still around, you know, being able, people enjoying the outside and being outside with each other more. There was times I walked, uh, you know, I was still interviewing people and I've listened to the albums, but I would walk the Atlantic City boardwalk and there would be no one, no one on, on the boardwalk, you know, for miles on end, or there'd be a, a random person. It was, it was a whole, it, I mean, in a normal day, you know, even on the slow day there, you'd see, you know, a hundred plus people and now there's no one. And uh, it was interesting. You know, the whole thing was interesting. My, my whole thing is like looking at the, the drama of people interacting, like, at, like, you know, random things about people's mask and screaming and, and uh, you know, really creating a scene. Like they couldn't get, we couldn't get along together. They, started screaming about oh my god your your nose is showing or your what I, I wanted to talk to you about is that considered mental health issues or that they weren't handling it well or because i mean what they did was they they startled every single person around them you know, i i had an experience i mean this of course is based on my personal experience when this happened i had a little bit of um uh, like PTSD, remembering when I was in Philly and AIDS happened. Um, yeah. I was working at the Astral Plane. Um, I was oh waiting. God, I've been there many times. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting and bartending there. Um, and in fact, right now I'm in the process of doing the owner read a Pagan's memoir with him. Um, such an interesting guy. But it was sort of like the epicenter for AIDS in Philadelphia when it first started because of course, that was a gay gathering place, a gay straight neighborhood gathering place for 35 years. Um, it was an institution. And, you know, I remember the first person that got sick and died very, very early on that I knew very early on. Um, we didn't know what it was. You know, it, we thought it was actually Legionnaire's disease because it had just happened in Philly at the uh, Bellevue Stratford. Yeah. And this person was a childhood friend of mine. Like we were really, we were, he was the kind of kid, like our families were so close. We used to go on all our vacations together. Um, so I considered him sort of a brother. And, um, and I remember the hubbub in the restaurant because everybody didn't, nobody knew what it was and how everybody became so paranoid and afraid of one another. Like everybody was suspect, especially if you knew the person that was sick. Yes. Um, and then I remember, there was a, a guy who, who didn't work at Astral Plane, but he hung out there. His name was Jim. And he used to make uh, macrobiotic food. And, and and so what he would do is he would go in the restaurant early before we opened um, in the morning. And he would make like, I don't know how many, but let's say 100 clamshells of this macrobiotic food. And people would, who were sick would line up outside before we opened. And he would give out this food for free because he thought it would make everybody better. But it was just this weird, again, dystopian moment, um, you know, where people started distrusting each other and just disappearing. Like if you got sick, people disappear because they didn't want to be ostracized as well as get sick and die, you know? And so they just sort of disappeared. And if you tried to contact them, sometimes they, they didn't contact you, but sort of some of the outbursts and ways people turned on each other reminded me, um, of that. And it, it actually frightened me. I remember feeling uh, that being one of the very negative aspects for me of, of COVID was that I, I saw this happening again in some ways or feared um, it would happen again in some ways that we'd have these people who were like outcasted because they were sick or were, we considered them carriers or potential high risk carriers for this. And then the rest of us, you know, who didn't 
care what they lived or died, but needed them to get away from us. You know, so maybe I'm exaggerating that just a little bit of hyperbole, but there was, I did feel that, you know, I was, I was fearful of that. And um, it brought back those, those uh, frightening times for me. Um, that, that's so interesting. One, I, I may have met you before an astral plane because that was a, 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 a constant stop. I, I was mid nineties in there. So uh, I don't know, like early nineties to mid nineties. Nineties, I was gone. I'm not gone. I mean, I would come and work occasionally on Christmas or pen parent. Uh-huh. Yeah, but really for me, it was um, the eighties, uh, the early eighties, late seventies, yeah. early eighties, and then later when I came back to Philly in the late eighties, early nineties. So, but, uh, yeah, it was it was quite <laughs> quite a place. Very very much missed. Um, I remember, like, so I I. I agree with you, the PTSD thing, that AIDS thing we don't talk about either. And I, for the people who are still around that lived kind of through the, like I lived through the tail end of AIDS, uh, of the epidemic and the, the anxiety of it all. It was a daily life or death scenario. And it, for some people, it really was. I mean, you could watch people just die right in front of you. I mean, I, I lost, I don't know how many people I've, I'm, was commenting um, with one of my friends that we went to funerals more than we went out at night on the, during the week, you know, to a bar at mm-hmm. one point. And, um, you know, we went to more funerals every week than going out. And um, it was an interesting time in the gay community because, you know, there's, there's often some tension between men and women in the gay community. And at that time it was both the worst of times and the best of times um, in my understanding of that experience for me for example you know the men felt like they were the only ones being attacked by this and that sort of increased the rift between men and women lgbtq men and women you know queer men and women because they were just like well you can't possibly know what we're going through like we're not even don't even talk to us there was a lot of anger you know obviously rightfully so um about why this was happening and on the other hand of course by and large, we were the ones caring for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and there was this halcyon period of time when they appreciated us. And then it all ended, you know, <laughs> as soon as the drug regimens came, it's sort of, we sort of went back to our original dynamic, you know, before all of it started by and large. And I, and I'm sad about that sometimes. And um, not that I don't have friends, you know, that are men and stuff. Of course I do, but it, it was different. You know, there was a different closeness at one point. At the same time, there was also a rift. You know, it was it was a very interesting dynamic at the time. There was a time that, you know, we, we would go into Woody's and if a woman was in there, straight or gay, a straight woman would never go in there. But if a, a lesbian went in, you know, they would, you know, hiss at him, call him fish. Um, just make it really hostile. Let them know that, that, that they their presence wasn't Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, wanted, and that's after the AIDS uh, epidemic. The uh, I went to Hepburns and uh, and Sisters. Hepburns, but like I was the one guy. <laughs> I guess I like to be the outsider. I'm the one guy that that got to be in the inner circle for some of the groups of the girls, and and they were lovely to me, and we danced and we laughed and we had fun, and but it was separate, and uh, it was kind of i felt like in some ways that i infiltrated a wonderful beautiful place where uh, a lot of gay men 
never had a chance to experience where uh, there was, I was filled with nothing but like amazing women around me who were uh, just being themselves. And they were, they were awesome. And they didn't, they didn't have to accept me into their group, but they did. And it was, it was great. So like I would, you know, just run around the bars and I knew that I would always uh, end up at Hepburn's at the end of the night and I was dancing away and uh, it was just a wonderful experience. But to back up to what you were saying, the, the story about AIDS and they never really acknowledged the the lesbian uh, effort that that they um, basically were, were the caregivers and and were the more strategic. They were out there. They're fighting. They were the the uh, they were the ones that were moving everything forward. There was a hysteria where you could see men dying. And it wasn't really affecting the women, but if it wasn't for um, lesbian women to be that support, we wouldn't have, I don't think we would have went forward as fast as we did, or um, there would have been more devastation, I think. Yeah, I mean, I certainly think so. I mean, I, I have this conversation with my my female peers, not often, but, but you know, not um, more than once, you know, about what happened and i do i do remember thinking at that time that this i'm glad we have this connection now and i i did think it would last but yeah. it hasn't it has you know just like covid things have gone a lot of things have gone back to the normal there is a new normal and and i do think the younger generations are are um you know men and women are more integrated um within the queer community at least i hope they are um and i it it seems as though they are to me um, and I have, you know, a lot of, of male friends, but it's not the same still. It's not, no, not, I mean, it's at all. not the same. And I remember in Atlantic City, all the bars on New York Avenue and such, you know, in the New York Avenue sort of neighborhood. You know, if you were a man, you could get a, a card, a membership card, which let you in without a cover. But if you were a woman, you couldn't. Um, so you had to pay a cover. And even though I know some of the bars were open 24 hours, at one point they'd say, oh, can you guys leave so we can clean up? And when we get, came back in after 10 minutes, they would charge us a cover again. Wow. Um, and there was a lot of that um, <laughs> going on. Um, and from, you know, honestly, men of my age, some of them still do it um, in, in the queer community I'm talking about. Um, so... You know, we don't like to think about those things, do we? <laughs> you know, there's no, some, I mean, we're, there's we're having internal a... rifts. Um, that's all, not only one of the internal rifts we have in our community, but it, you know, it, it was taught to me. You know, it was taught like the you know I explain to I like I have a lot of young friends. I, I people are like, oh, you look young because I have a lot of young friends, and I said it. it I was not out, and I was in a small town. I came out in, in Philadelphia. So if someone told me, oh, you're, you know, you're a uh, lesbian is going to be your best friends and you need to, you know, we're integrating and, you know, you're, you know, I would have never blinked an eye that this was taught to me. This was not something that I was like, oh, we don't like lesbians. I mean, why? I don't get it. You know, it was just like that this was taught. It was taught that youth was, was, admired and old people were not admired and, and to be cast off and, and that, you know, uh, drugs is, is very important into this culture. 
and promiscuous sex is like is, is encouraged and uh to expand the norm of of sexuality is kind of one of the things that you're um uh, you're supposed to do and also look your your posse needs to look just like you they'll wear the same clothes they'll be the same you know the same same thoughts same feelings and and that that's kind of all taught and then it i explained to the people my friends that are younger i'm like all that has to be erased because it's it was really bad i don't know where it came from but it was it was in my gay handbook when i when i started (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a shame i don't you know i can't speak obviously to the gay handbook um i could speak to the women's side of it um where i think um i don't know that this is true but i know there's a general perception that uh, lesbians feel that gay men are more misogynistic than straight men as a group. And I, I think they think that because they think like, oh, they don't want or need women, uh-huh. um, uh-huh. you know, and and I don't know that it's true, um, but it wouldn't surprise me, unfortunately, in, you know, not everybody, but in that it where people are misogynistic, they're worse, you know, when it's in gay culture. Um and that should, you're right, that needs to be stopped. Um, and it's part of the reason why, uh, you know, the, the movement isn't going somewhere quicker. I mean, and if you think it is going quickly, think about how more quickly it could go if we could all, um, you know, work together and respect each other equally, because it is a matter of mutual respect. And I could, say, I could go on and say the same thing about other divisions in our community, whether it be race or you know, we're we're part of American culture and we have all the same flaws, you know. <laughs> we just might express them differently. Socioeconomic things. Yeah, yeah. like that, socioeconomics or it can be, uh, you know, whether you're pretty or not or handsome or not. It could be whether you're fat or thin. It could be whether you're trans or cis. It could be whether you're, you know, black or white or, you know, person of color or white. I mean, there, we, we have these same rifts and sometimes we deny we have them because we're already, quote, in the minority, but yeah. those those rifts exist, and um, you know we we should be dealing with them as as a queer community. Yeah, it's not so that what you had said that you thought that um, one of the reasons that some men do not you know need lesbians around. The, no, it was never explained. Uh, you know, it was just like oh, we don't we don't like them. It, it, when you're when you come out, you're very fragile. As to, uh, it, it was, it was a big explosion for me. It wasn't easy, and you know you're searching for, you know, what is it that we do here? <laughs> what is it? How does this work? And you know, you, you're picking up uh, clues that are, are uh, verbal and nonverbal, um, and it's you you pick it up as you go along, and, and it's. It's not, you're right. It, it, it's hyper. So uh, it's hyper socialized as to what America is. Um, the, okay. So I mentioned that I, I only date black guys. I got kicked out of a car when I, t- I was with a group of uh, four white guys who were friends. I thought were my friends. And I said, Oh, this guy's high. And he was a black guy. And they looked at me and said, well, they said the N word. And, and the, and they said I was a dinge queen and that I had to, and they kicked me out of the car. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, so I very like, I'm being more open, I guess, when I'm talking to you. 
about my experience of, of uh, you know, uh, black and white, you know, in this community. I'm obviously a white dude, but I do like black guys, but I feel their uh, racism also. Um, I, people are, are very drawn to me. And then when they find out that I, I prefer black guys, I'm talked about or I'm ostracized. I'm kicked out of the club uh, I, or I have been. Now, now I could try again, but like the bear clubs that I'm fits more into a bear thing. Then people, you know, very open, and then they talk. They I've watched them talk behind my back, right in front of me, and 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 I know that they're saying, "Oh, he only likes black guys." In fact, I've heard it many times. Oh, he only likes black guys. It's so and, interesting the, the uh, sort of the kinds of myriad of divisions that men, gay men, have within the culture compared to gay women. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird, isn't it? To hear it, it's it's at a point where you know I don't really socialize with a lot of gay men because I find them a little more cattier than, than anyone else, you know? So it's kind of like, I don't know, life is short. And if, if, if you're looking for clans to, to connect with, I'm, I'm going to pick and choose people from the world. I can't and kind of create my own clan as opposed to say, Oh, here's the bear community. I'm going to join in. Because if I do join in, it's going to happen again and again and again. And I and I and I feel bad for um, the the thick and and heavy set black guys who want to be in the bear community and feel that ostracization all the time. Like they're not they're not accepted. But I do have a friend who plays the Mandingo effect, and the Mandingo effect is, you know, there is a, a, a belief that black guys have larger penises, so he he plays that up. And he doesn't mind having sex with white guys. And um, so th there's a lot of white guys, like on the DL, will say that they have problems with black guys, but then they you text them and, and hook up with Al. So Al knows a lot of people who are racist on the outside and and, uh, um, and uh, friendly, um, you know, under the sheets. Now that, that speaks to the, the kind of work we still have to do, the men's <laughs> kind of work we still have to do in our community. And it is... It is disappointing, but it's the kind of thing, and I'm glad you're you're talking about it, Tom, because it's the kind of thing that can't be nothing can be done about it until we're willing to talk about it, you know. And yeah. uh, and you know, there's some of that. There's some of that. We have our own things in the um, lesbian community, or the just the queer women's community. I'll call it because not everybody's lesbian. There's a lot of bisexual women, and we don't make those um, necessarily make those same uh, very strict distinctions amongst women. But there are women who, you know. If you've got children, they don't want anything to do with you because, you know, you've been with a man or if you've um, it, or if you're bisexual, they're sort of question if you know who you are because they don't believe in bisexuality. It's just mm -hmm. like uh, you want to have both worlds or it's a way station between straight and gay. You know, you're just not you just don't know who you are yet or, um, you know, the the, the uh, racial issues are there, but I don't see them as as strong i don't they're really not as strong maybe because there's fewer lesbians um by and large um that are socialized with one another and so you know we we reach out to each other more women women maybe are more in need of that sort of uh, social bonding um with one another i'm not certain i'm guessing now um, <laughs> but i think i think it's so interesting like I once looked at the categories for men and it's like, it's grown. Now there's like subcategories of categories of categories, you know, and it's like, it's so the, I don't know, quite know what all the rules are, but it's very complicated. Um, yeah. 
women, you know, you sort of have butch women and femmes and you sort of have sporty, you know, in-betweens and lipstick versus chapstick lesbians. And But I mean, it, it's it's sort of um, it's a softer divisions, you know, except on the edges of those, uh, you know, the opposite ends of the spectrum. And um, but and and, you know, but then there's still some of that there. You know, there's there's all these assumptions people make about you based on. Um, you know, how you present yourself, I think, in the gay community, mm-hmm. you know, Definitely. physical, your physical presentation. Yeah, there's, there is a, there is definitely a, a financial, like, like a look, you know, and, and people will size you up by, you know, what you look like, how you're dressing, or would they, if you seem to have any kind of, you know, um, uh, additional income <laughs> that you're able to travel or whatever. Like there's the, the uh, I'm, I'm saying the, the incorrectly, but there is definitely uh, a financial component and it's funny, but they're, they're locked away. So I kind of see myself as a common man. Those people who are more affluent do not interact with, with uh, someone who's the common man. They're doing their, they're, they're in their own subset. So, um, yeah, and I'm not sure that's so different from the straight world, you know. Yeah, you're right. You know, you're to- you're right. You're right. <laughs> I mean, I think men, mar- women marry up, you know. But besides that, I think people stay within their um, Where they, their, their zip their code. Classes. Yeah, their zip code and their and their and their class structure, you know. Um, and there's a tendency to do that, but I don't know that that I don't see that so much in the with the uh, queer women. I don't see that financial division. I think. I see the opposite um, a lot, and it always surprises me that I see women of very different educational backgrounds together as partners, women of very different financial means um, together. Um, you know, I, I see a lot more of that amongst gay women than I do amongst my heterosexual friends who are partnered. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, and I, but I do think there's something about there being fewer, or our perception that there's fewer of us, um, and. So we make our choices for different reasons if we desire to be partnered, you know. There's, I just read a, an article. I believe there's only five women's uh, uh, nightclubs anymore in America. In the country, yes. Yeah, five. Bars, That's yeah. insane. Uh, it is insane. Uh, <laughs> that's where, I, I know it went away, but it, it'd be fun if it, if it could come back. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, that was the past. But boy, was that past great. So wouldn't it be fun to have like, I don't know, like they used to do like nights, like it would be lesbian night on Wednesdays and Wednesday, you know, like hoedown on Thursdays. And so it, it was different and it, the, the clientele would change. But a full uh, girl bar is um, dynamite. Like I, I'm totally supportive. I wish I had the, the cash I would create one right now. Yeah, I don't, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, it's it's not just women's bars. Of course, men's bars have also disappeared, you know, gay bars in general, but women's at a much faster rate. I know there's a lot of theories about why, because we've been trying to open up a gay bar in, in Atlantic City for about Forever. seven years, you know, <laughs> um, ever since the demise of New York Avenue, basically. Um, I, you know, part of it is, of course, people complain that it, one, it's the apps, you know, people can don't have to go to a bar anymore to meet people, right? They can go on Grindr or whatever they're going on um, to find hookups or longer term relationships if they desire that. 
and they don't need to go to a bar, which is where we used to meet people. You know, yeah. that's how you knew somebody was gay because they were at a gay bar. You just assumed it. And um, But that's even at gay bars. That's not the case anymore because there's so many straight, at least for women, because yeah. there's so many straight women in gay bars that if I go into a gay bar, I don't know if that woman is gay or not. You know, it's just you don't know. I mean, you do it by looking at them and talking to them, but but not just because of their mere presence. I think um, the other thing is that a lot of women, especially once they're partnered, um, queer women I'm talking about, they really don't necessarily want to go out to bars. You know, they they nest and they they enjoy doing other things that aren't about going to bars and socializing because they're not as likely to be looking for a third or, you know, an extra marital, you know, extra partnered sort of a relationship, which is often why couples that are guys are hanging in bars, you know, um, because that's much more um, acceptable for some people in that lifestyle and uh, not for women so much, at least in my generation. Right. Um, so I think all these things, and also women, you know, there are all, already many fewer women's bars, right? We used to have three in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, my, my favorite one was Judy's on uh fourth. Yeah. Yeah. You know? um, oh yeah, I mean that was like the best lipstick bar. Every girl in there was pretty. Uh, <laughs> I mean, in my young my young experience of it before it closed, um, and then sisters, you know, and you know they opened Toasted Walnut on Walnut Street. It's ostensibly a lesbian bar, but if you go in there, most of the people there are are gay, just like uh, Stacy Kay's place Stir in Philadelphia. You know, um, Stacy's from down here. I think she's from Brigantine, like this area. She went to Philly and opened the bar as a lesbian bar. And when you go there, you know, usually if I go to say hi, I'm the only woman. Maybe there's one other at the bar. So, and it, it has to be that way for them because men, men go out more. You know, they need them to, um, to keep the business going. You know, I mean, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna stop here and go okay. to the next one. All right, I'll see you in a bit. Bobby Short live at the Carlisle. I can't get started. explainable I met someone unattainable life's a bore the world is my oyster no more all the papers where I left the news with my capers will spread the news Superman turns out to be Flash in the pan I do a hundred yards in ten flat The Prince of Wales has copied my Kings I've all accorded But can't get started with you In 1929 I sold short In England I'm presented 
enter at court The Austrobilts I visit But say, what is it with you? You're so supreme Lyrics I write of you it do when J.P. Morgan bows I just nod green pastures wanted me to play God but you've got me down a hearted I can't get started with you when first we met How you elated me, pet You devastated me, yet Now you've deflated me Till you're my Waterloo I've sold some kisses at a bazaar And after me They've named a cigar But lately How I've smarted Cause I can't get started Next episode, episode four, dipping my foot in the pool, end of episode.